0: Of you have ever heard anything about the book of Enoch? Have you? How about the Apocrypha? How many of you think the Apocrypha and the book of Enoch are the Word of God? Don't say. But a lot of people, now the reason I'm on this, because this is about the things you thought you knew. Now the reason I'm on this is because a lot of people believe that the book of Enoch is the Word of God. They quote it and they believe it should have been included in the scriptures that you hold in your hand. And also people uh, believe the Apocrypha, and some have done it, included the Apocrypha in the Bible. The Catholics, if, you're, if you come out of the Catholic Church, then you know the Apocrypha was right in there uh, in the Bible adding a number of books to it. So tonight, the reason I'm dealing with this is because some of the teachings that are out there that are spurious that are false are using Enoch as their source and it's gaining traction and it's running so I want to just show you the truth about the book of Enoch okay because I want you to be informed a lot of Christians are not informed listen can I be without sounding mean most of the Christian world has the discernment of a tree stump. Now, I don't say that critically. I say it factually. It's too bad because the Bible is not being taught from pulpits arming the people. We're getting a few pet verses and majoring on them. And we're not um, teaching the whole counsel of God. So that said, let's see what we can learn tonight. Can we just pray together? Father, we just thank you that your word is truth. And we pray for your word to go forth tonight. We pray that you'll establish your word. And Lord, that you will clear out the cobwebs in our mind so that we know the truth about what's a part of the scriptures and what isn't and why. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up. You're going to need this tonight. Amen. Amen, amen. All right. I want to just go ahead, because the, the way that Enoch uh, gets into the mix to the level that it has, and if, if you were to go online and just Google Book of Enoch, you would have endless, endless pages about it. So how has it gained so much traction in the Christian world? Well, I'm going to show you why. Because we find a purported quote from Enoch in Jude 14. So we're going to put it on the screen. Jude 14. Jude, of course, is only one chapter. And Jude 14 through 15 says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed and of all the hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now I want you to notice what he's doing. Jude is quoting who? Enoch. All right. See he says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, So Enoch, the real Enoch, goes all the way back to the dawn of time. He's the seventh down from Adam. So he says, Enoch prophesied. What did he prophesy? He prophesied about the second coming of Jesus. So way back in the dawn of time, I mean millennia ago, Enoch prophesied about the end of times. he's at the beginning of time he prophesied about the very very end of times okay now jude of course is in the word of god so it it matters that here he is he's quoting enoch he makes so jude makes a reference to enoch he points him out the bible tells us a few things that are important about enoch first of all uh, he was taken up to heaven without dying enoch was the first raptured man he was walking, and then he was not. We don't know where he was, but he was somewhere. And he was there, and then he was not. Okay? So Enoch was taken up. He was three, 365 years old when he was taken up. Just getting started in life. <laughs> right? Right? So, yeah. so 365 years old, and the Bible tells us the reason God took him, in Hebrews 11 we're told, because he pleased God. He walked by faith. He lived a life of faith. And God said, I like him so much, I want him up here. So he took him. So what does he become a picture of? He's a a type and a shadow of the day when the church will be doing the same thing. Going through life, bang, gone. Just like that. We're there, and then we're not. You're not going to kind of float up. Hi, everybody. No, Enoch was there, and I love the way the Bible puts it, and he was not. Okay. Now, here's why Enoch has has been brought into this whole mix like he has. Because there's a book of Enoch. And the book of Enoch, I want to read out of 1 Enoch 1, verse 9. So we're going to read a passage out of this book of Enoch where... It's almost identical to what we just read out of Jude. Okay? Here's Enoch. Behold, he comes with the myriads of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to destroy all the wicked and to convict all flesh for all the wicked deeds that they have done and the proud and hard words wicked sinners spoke against him. That's almost identical. Identical to what we just read from the book of Jude, is it not? Oh yeah, it's just almost word for word. So what does that mean? Well, we're told by people that believe the book of Enoch is the word of God that because Jude quoted from the book of Enoch, that's what they say, he quoted from the book of Enoch, which was written around 200 years before Christ. So they allege Jude quoted from this book that he so believed it was God's word that he quoted from the book of Enoch. He felt safe doing it. Because, of course, the church came two centuries after the book of Enoch was written. So the apostles would have had access to it. That's the idea. Are you tracking with me? Okay, so let's talk about the book of Enoch just just for a minute. There's three books of Enoch, or there's, there's three volumes of Enoch. The first one is one Enoch, okay? Sort of like one and two Thessalonians, one and two Corinthians. There's one Enoch, which is the most quoted of the three. Usually when you hear a quote from Enoch, it's from one Enoch, the first book. Then there's two Enoch, or a second Enoch, and, and that is called the Book of the Secrets of Enoch. And it's written about 100 A.D., a century after Christ. Okay? Then there's third Enoch. And that's a, rabbinic, a Jewish rabbinic text written around 500 A.D. Now, the last two, two and three Enoch, we're not real concerned with. We're more concerned with one Enoch because that's what people are claiming Jude quoted from because Jude believed it was the word of God. Jude believed it was inspired. So Jude felt safe quoting from it. That's why it matters. Now, as I've already told you, First Enoch was written during what is called the intertestamental period. Now, that's between the closing of the book of Malachi and the opening of the new covenant with the arrival of Jesus... Okay, so from Malachi, the last book in your Bible, Old Testament book, all the way to the opening of the Gospels was 400 years, four centuries. A lot of things went on during those four centuries. Alexander the Great had his time in the sun during those 400 years. Uh, All kinds of things happened. And here's the thing, the Apocrypha and the book of Enoch 1 were all written during those 400 years, the intertestamental period, where there was no word, we're told there was no word from God. It's the silent centuries. All right? No word from God. Malachi closed out, and until John the Baptist starts preaching and declaring Christ, no word from God. 400 years of prophetic silence. Not that nothing was going on, Just 400 years of silence from God. Wow, that's a long time. Okay? Now, it's not included, as you already know from listening tonight, it's not included in the canonical Bible. When I say canonical, I mean the official canon. The accepted books that are in your Bible. When you look from Genesis to Revelation, that is the accepted canon... Not double N, like kaboom, but C-A-N-O-N of Scripture. So when you hold, hold up your Bible, hold up your Bible, if you've got it. I know it's on your, hold up your iPhone. But all right, that right there is the completed canon of Scripture. It opens with Genesis, ends with Revelation. Then it closed out. It's done. It's complete. It's finished. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22, makes it real clear, if you add to it, you're going to have added to you the curses that are in the book of Revelation. So don't add to it. And if you take away from it, same thing. So what is God telling us at the end of the book of Revelation? Now it's complete. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. It's perfecto. Okay? Now, the book of one Enoch, what's in it? Well, it's filled with visions of the end times, and it provides an alleged detail, and I say alleged, detailed account of the fall of the angels, all right? Book of Enoch, 1 Enoch, goes into all kinds of different topics. Okay, it also includes the prophecy about the coming judgment that we read about a moment ago. That's in 1 Enoch. Now, now follow with me, because this is, um, this is educational tonight. I want you to understand these things. Despite the similarities between Jude and Jude's quote about the coming of the Lord, and the book of Enoch and that quote about the coming of the Lord, there are huge gaping differences between the two. For example, the book of Enoch includes many fantastical stories now here's one that you already know about because in this series i taught on it this whole thing of the nephilim that fallen angels came to earth married earthly women sired children that became the nephilim giants all of that finds its source in enoch and can i just say this because I've shown you what I think about it. I don't think that that's what happened at all. I don't think the sons of God were fallen angels at all. It's clearly the Sethite, the, the descendants of Seth. If you don't agree with me, you can love me and I still love you. But that's the fact. Angels did not come to earth and walk the altar with earthly women and sire humans. No, no. Come on, where do you find it? Enoch. And Enoch is not inspired. When I say inspired, what I mean is all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So when I say inspired, I mean theonoustos. That's the Greek word. Theo, God, theos, God. Noustos, breathed out. The Bible says of itself that all Scripture is literally breathed out from God. So we say inspired. When it's, when it's the true word of God, it's inspired. Okay? So the book of Enoch, we contend, is not inspired. Because it brings all these myths and fables and fairy tales and all these different things that you don't find in the Bible. And it matters what you believe. And it matters where you get your theology meaning what you believe about God. It matters where you get it. Because I can take you to social media and take you to all kinds of back crazy places, telling you all kinds of things are from God when they're not. Okay? We're living in a day we had better have on our discernment cap. Okay? A few other extra-biblical stories in the book of Enoch include that and this matters, after Enoch was taken up to heaven, we're told by one Enoch that after Enoch was taken up to heaven, he was appointed guardian of all the celestial treasures and made chief of the archangels. In other words, he's over Michael and Gabriel. Enoch is over Michael and Gabriel, says one Enoch. And he became the immediate attendant to the throne of God. We're told this about Enoch. And then later it gets better. He's taught all the secrets and all the mysteries. And with all the angels at his back, he personally fulfills whatever comes out of the mouth of God, personally executing God's decrees. This is Enoch. Does your Bible tell us these things about Enoch? Should these things send off a little alarm bell? Can we assume that this is made up? This is not inspired. In the book of 3 Enoch, just to give you one little taste of the third one, Enoch is identified as an angel called Metatron. And I'm not pulling that out of Hollywood. <laughs> it's an angel called Metatron. Sounds like something off of a video game. Metatron. So there's an angel according to Third Enoch named Metatron. Well, there's Michael, Angel, there's Michael and Gabriel, and then there's good old Metatron. Okay. And what does Metatron do? He communicates God's word. Enoch is also shown to be the one who communicated God's revelation to Moses. Enoch did. And in particular, he's the the dictator, the one who dictated the book of Jubilees. And that's not in the Bible either. So do you see how how they differ? How all of a sudden Enoch is really suspect as far as being inspired. Are you with me? Say, I'm with you, Pastor Jeff. All right, now. So what we see is the book of Enoch edifies and glorifies and exalts this man who walked with God and because he walked with God by faith, God took him. And that's all we ever hear about him. That's it. Now, since Jude quoted from Enoch, if he did, does that mean Enoch should be included in the Bible? Because he pulled a quote from the book of Enoch, let's say he did. Does that mean if he pulled that quote from Enoch, does that mean the rest of Enoch should be included in the Bible? That in other words, we should have Malach. We should have Malachi, Enoch, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. No. Because we ask ourselves this question: Why would Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, quote? from a non-canonical, uninspired source. If he did, why would, if Jude did that, why would he do it? Guess what? There's not a definitive answer. We don't know if he did or not. But Let's just say he did. It could be that he considered the book of Enoch close enough to what he felt God was showing him that he just echoed what God was already showing him. He said, Well, that agrees with what God is showing me. Don't know. But here's what's important to remember the early Christian community, okay, when God was a movement, all these people were getting saved 3,000 saved, 5,000 saved, church exploding, going all over the known world. Before New Testament scriptures were written, the early church did not have a fixed new testament canon of scripture they had the old testament but they didn't have any new testament so because of that they read widely they read a wide assortment of religious uh, uh stuff okay and so yes we know they read from the book of enoch because we find evidence of it uh, even the early church fathers some of them quoted enoch because it was out there Okay? But the official New Testament canon was not there yet. They learned word of mouth. They learned from one another. There was an oral tradition. And and slowly over time, the New Testament began to be written, starting with the book of Mark. Okay? But there was a while there, they didn't have that. So now. It's possible that Jude quoted from the book of Enoch because because he found his prophecy to be something that conformed to what he already believed. But it's worth noting, everybody, that the early church fathers never included the book of Enoch in the Bible. When they began to compile the Bible, and, and I'm going to show you how they did it, and decide what was inspired and what wasn't, they never once included Enoch in the Word of God. Never once. And guess what? Jude is not the only Bible author. If he did quote from the book of Enoch, he's not the only Bible author that quoted from a non-biblical source. Guess who else did it? Paul. Titus 1.12, look up here with me. Now here's Paul, and he says, One of themselves, even a prophet of their own. Now he's appealing, he's pointing to lost, pagan, unbiblical sources here. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said this. The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. How many of you can tell he doesn't like the Cretans? (laughs) Now watch this. He says right after that, that testimony is true. He says, what that secular source said about the Cretans, it happens to be true. So he quoted the secular source because the secular source was true. Now does that mean that that same secular source and everything else they said? Should be included in the Word of God? No. He just pulled from a secular source. He said, they're telling the truth about the Cretans. So I'm going to quote the secular source. But he's not saying the secular source is inspired. He's just saying they told the truth about the Cretans. Amen. Those Cretans, bad people. Even the name. How would you like to be called a Cretan? Here comes a Cretan. Right? No. Now, here's something that... Track with me and don't freak out on me. But listen carefully. Truth can be found in a lot of places in the unbelieving world. There's true statements that you find in the unbelieving world. You've got to be careful. But there's true statements that come. All right? You've heard the the phrase, a a broken clock is right at least twice a day? Sila, Let that sink in. Right, Twice a day a broken clock is right. Okay, So even a broken clock is right twice a day. So you, you can find some truthful statements in the world. Paul had just happened to have read this, what some secular source wrote about the Cretans, and he quoted them. But he's in no way saying the source is inspired. Okay? So it, it goes without saying that, because, that if Jude quoted Enoch, he's not saying the rest of Enoch is inspired. Okay? He's not saying that, if indeed he quoted from Enoch. Now, let me tell you why the book of Enoch could never have been written by the real Enoch, the seventh from Adam. Here's why. Because first, Enoch lived before the Tower of Babel. Okay? When there was one language, and after Babel, the one universal language that Adam and Eve spoke, Cain spoke, Abel spoke, Seth spoke, all of those early people before Babel, they all spoke one language. You say, well, what was it? I don't know what it was. So here's the thing. After Babel, the universal language was lost. It was replaced by a whole bunch of different languages. So whatever the original language of Adam and Eve was, it was lost at Babel. That gives you a real translation problem. Because if the book of Enoch was written by the real seventh from Adam, he wrote it in that language that no one after the Tower of Babel knew. So how does somebody translate a language nobody knew into a language that we can read now? There's no way. There's a major translation problem. Who could come along after Babel and say, Oh, I know old Enoch. He, He made a prophecy and he wrote a book. So I'm going to get that book and I'm going to translate it into my current language. How can you do that if nobody knew the original language Adam and Eve spoke? You can't do it. Everybody say, I'm trying to figure it out, Jeff. Do you get what I'm saying? If nobody speaks it anymore, how is there a translator to translate it when there's not a translator in the world who knows the language to translate it from one to another? Because it was lost. Here's another reason Enoch could never have written it. Because Enoch lived before the great flood of Noah's time. Okay? So the only way a volume written by Enoch could have survived where we have it today is Noah had to carry it onto the ark and tuck it away and save that precious book of Enoch. Right? But we know he did not, there's no record of any such thing. So, no way Enoch, the real Enoch, wrote the book of Enoch. So, that makes the author of one Enoch, two Enoch, and three Enoch an imposter right off the bat. So, he's telling us he's somebody that he's not. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody tells me they're somebody they're not, I got a trust issue. Once I find out, hey, you're not who you told me you were. So am I going to believe anything they say if they told me they were somebody they're not? So that puts the book of Enoch into the I can't trust it category because whoever said I, Enoch, wrote it was not Enoch. They were phony, baloney, macaroni, fake. Right? So let me just conclude the book of Enoch with this. If you like fairy tales and fables and comic books and... Saturday morning cartoons, you might enjoy reading Enoch. Because it's in no way a part of the eternal word of God. Okay. So next time somebody comes up to you and says, well, I believe in the Nephilim because that's what Enoch says. Say, wait a minute. Enoch is not inspired. Why are you even quoting that? As a pastor, I will never get up and quote Enoch as an authoritative source of anything. Okay, y'all are quiet tonight. The thinking caps are on. Now we come to the Apocrypha, and I'm not going to spend long on the Apocrypha, but long enough to tell you what I think about it. What's the Apocrypha? It's a collection of 14 books written by Jewish writers also during the intertestamental period, those 400 silent years. They are considered to be scripture by the Roman Catholic Church, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, but by most Protestant denominations, it's not considered to be inspired. The, The Apocrypha is not considered to be canonical or inspired or breathed out of God. Now, here's the list of books. Real quick, you got the first book of Ezra's, first and second book of Ezra's. You got the book of Tobit, the book of Judith, the book of Wisdom, the book of Sirach, the book of Baruch, the Epistle of Jeremiah, the Prayer of manasseh the additional psalm, another Psalm is added. The first, second, third, and fourth books of Maccabees. Now there's fourteen books there, and they are they comprise the Apocrypha. Remember, if you get a Catholic Bible and you open it, when you come to the end of Malachi, here's the Apocrypha. And you go through those fourteen books and then you come to Matthew. Now, many of these books are suspect. Well, they're all suspect for many reasons, but here's one. They have separate storylines and characters from the other books found in your Bible. For instance, the book of the Maccabees comes after the Old Testament canon is closed out with Malachi and describes the Maccabees revolting against empires that controlled Israel. So, after the Old Testament was closed out, Here comes the book of Maccabees claiming to be inspired when the New Covenant had not started and the Old Covenant was closed out, yet Maccabees is claiming to be inspired. Now, Maccabees is good for one thing. The Maccabees can give you some genuine history. It's good for history. It's accurate on some historical truth, but it is certainly not inspired. Why are the apocryphal books rejected as Scripture? Let me give you a little history here. There were a number of church councils throughout the early church history that would meet. These were the scholars of the day, all right? And they would meet. And they would meet to settle certain issues. Uh, uh, Was Jesus uh, uh, ever created? In other words, uh, was Jesus born? Was he created? Or was he really and truly God? That's what the Council of Nicaea met to decide council of nicaea i think it was 325 ad somewhere around in there the council of nicaea met and they decided on whether or not jesus was divine council of nicaea did not meet to decide what was in the bible what what part of the bible was inspired they met to decide whether or not jesus was divine and what do you think they walked away with he's divine he was god god Right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But let me just give you a couple of factual tidbits about these councils. One council, the Council of Hippo in 393 AD, did include the apocryphal books in the Old Testament. They did. Then during the 4th century, the most notable objection to the apocrypha came from St. Jerome, when he was translating into latin the bible into latin for the latin vulgate how many of you ever heard of the latin vulgate the rest of you you probably don't have one but the latin vulgate now the latin vulgate was translated and it became the bible for the church for over a thousand years it was sort of like the king james version of that day if you had a bible you had the latin vulgate and its authority was authoritative and the go-to Bible for a thousand years. Jerome concluded there was a problem with the Apocrypha when he was translating. And he advised against considering them, all 14 books, he said, these are not inspired scripture. Others disagreed, and the Council of Rome in 382 proceeded to include the Apocrypha in his list of canonical scripture so there's two councils that met and they included the apocrypha in inspired scripture but now then came the council of trent which took place over multiple meetings from 1545 to 1563 all right it reiterated that the roman catholic church considered the apocrypha to be canonical scripture but then came luther and the Protestant Reformation, Luther is—he's uh, one of my guys. I love Luther because he was stout and bold and set fire to the world that the Bible was the Word of God. Now, he—he he was brilliant, and he translated the Bible in, into German, and he made the Apocrypha a separate section. He removed it from the inspired Bible you have in your hands. And he did not equate the scriptures as being on the same level as the Apocrypha or backwards. He didn't equate the Apocrypha to be on the same level as the scriptures. And it went that way from then on. Most Protestant denominations and and how many of you came out of the Catholic Church? Okay, so how many of you are pretty familiar with the Apocrypha? All right. So, most Protestant den- denominations from Luther and the Reformation forward have agreed with Luther's stance. The Apocrypha is useful, but it's not inspired scripture. It's not. Now, I'm going to give you some quick reasons why, and then we're going to close. And I am going to take questions. So, if you've got a question rolling around in your mind, isolate it, because I'm going to give you a chance to ask. Here's, uh, here's a couple of reasons why the Apocrypha has been rejected. One important question scholars ask when analyzing a possible scripture, inspired scripture, passage, or book is, are there other ones out there? Are there other copies of the same thing to compare it to? Like, for instance, do you know how many copies of your New Testament are out there in the world right now? Six thousand. 6,000 copies from different time periods throughout history of your New Testament are out there, and they all agree. Some were late, some were early, some reach all the way back to 100 years after Jesus, all the way up to almost modern times, but they never conflict, they all agree, so they were copied very well. There's no other... Uh, book of antiquity that even compares to your new testament okay now the apocrypha there was no supporting copies there was no supporting evidence nothing to compare it to so scholars look at this and went i don't see it uh, with the early church fathers i don't see it, it uh in any anywhere in church history where i can say well this apocrypha goes back it has it has some history to it no it was written in the intertestamental period and there was nothing to support it so they rejected it here's another one the old testament canon was closed hebrew bible scholars believe that at a certain time after malachi old testament prophecy stopped 400 years of silence the apocryphal books were written after that period, and before the arrival of Jesus. So for the scholars, the Apocrypha was interesting books, but not divinely inspired. Because the Old Testament was closed, New Testament hadn't opened, and it was 400 years of prophetic silence. Now let me give you the big one for me. Here's the biggest reason for me that the Apocrypha is not inspired. Jesus never quoted it. Never once. Now remember, it was written 200 years before he showed up. The Apocryphal books, all 14 of them written 200 years, two centuries before Jesus showed up. They were out there circulating everywhere. And they claimed to be the word of God. But Jesus never one time quoted from the Apocrypha. He quoted from the Old Testament prophets constantly. But never once did he say, Maccabee says, or first Judith says, or Bell and the dragon says, he never quoted from the Apocrypha. And guess who else never did? Paul, Peter, James, John, or Jude. Never once. In case you're wondering, Enoch was never considered a part of the Apocrypha. Enoch stood by itself. It was not included in the Apocryphal books. There was two different things. Now, Paul... Writes two-thirds in the New Testament. He quotes Old Testament prophets and Old Testament sources constantly. He never quotes from the Apocrypha. Never quotes from Enoch. Neither did James. Neither did John. Jude, maybe Enoch once. Maybe, we don't know. But that's it. So why in the world, if it was inspired, didn't Jesus point to it? If the Apocrypha is the Word of God, why didn't Jesus recommend it? He recommended the Old Testament prophets all the time. Isaiah said, Jeremiah said, Daniel said, Jonah. He quoted them all, but not the Apocrypha. Why the silence? Because he didn't consider it inspired. And if Jesus rejected it, that's good enough for me. Right? Right? Now, I'm not saying you should totally avoid it, don't read it. Go ahead. But don't ever go, wow, now this is God giving me a word for my life. No. If you want to just read it, read it. That's fine. But it's not the inspired canon of Scripture. Now, I know this is a lot of heavy educational stuff, but how many of you pretty much get it? All right. Okay, I am going to take some questions now, so does anybody have a question for me because we've got a couple of a few minutes, and I'm going to take questions. So do you have any questions about tonight or any other Bible question? Raise your hand. Nobody. Oh, way over here. They're going to work you, Johnny. way over here. And is that on? No, there, there it is. is. But while I'm walking up there's going a on. question. Is that where they get uh, the worshiping of saints, you know, on that? Uh, no. Uh, I mean. the, the, the Catholics came up with the worship of saints. That's another part of the Catholic history. Early on in the formation of the Catholic Church, they began to deify the saints. And, uh, of course, we're told to never do that. Uh, we're, it's totally unbiblical. But they, not only the saints, but Mary, Mariology, Mary worship. Mary being a go-between between us and Jesus. You know, go to Mary about it and she'll go to Jesus for you. This kind of thing. Nowhere in, nowhere in the inspired text, the inspired Bible. You, and that's our authority. That's my authority. It's your authority. Um, anything I'm told that is a theological, philosophical, directive kind of truth, that comes into my life, I'm going to run it through the inspired scripture. And if it doesn't go through the inspired sifter, then it's not true. It's not true. Okay?
1: Um, I heard one uh, minister say, say that, how can you conclude that there was 400 years of silence Uh, from uh, Malachi unto the New Testament because it doesn't say that in the Bible. Uh,
0: Because you go all the way back to the Jewish scribes. Uh, You know, when Malachi closed out, you had the, the Jewish sacrificial system fully in place. You had the temple, the second temple, all fully in place. The whole Old Testament, everything Moses had laid down was in full motion. So you had the Jewish scholars, you had Jewish Christians and they ascertained that when Malachi closed out his prophecy, his book, that was it. It was closed out then. And we have no word of any prophetic any prophetic individual that stepped into history that they recognize as being prophetic from God, where they can say, oh, okay, it's continuing now. No, it didn't happen. There was no prophetic figure that showed up. They didn't accept the Apocrypha. They didn't accept uh, Enoch, the book of Enoch. They said, no, none of those are the word of God. So early on, they said that Malachi was the close of the Old Testament. And so we have no open word until, really, until John the Baptist stood on the shore of the Jordan and began to tell people to repent. And Jesus arrived, of course, via the Virgin Mary, and the New Testament opened up. From, from Malachi to then, there was no open vision, no open word. That's what they uh, discerned and, I hate to say decreed, but that's what was decided early on after after Malachi was written. Yes. Well, we know that knowledge puffs up and the Bible has enough to teach us how to live a godly life, to please him, prepare us for, you know, eternity in heaven. Yeah. What is the root cause of people wanting is it secret knowledge? They want to have one up on you or gnosticism or yeah. Yeah, what do you, what what's the cause of people well, wanting to push this you know the stuff that we know is wrong yeah enoch i i think okay the bible says in 2 timothy 3 1 Timothy 4 the day is going to come when people are not going to embrace sound doctrine they're they're going to have itching ears very interesting that turn of phrase there because that word itching from the greek language is nowhere else in the bible and it's sort of like uh, uh scratch my itch i, I want to hear something novel something new so I, i'm tired I'm, I'm bored with the old bible stuff i want something new and so give me something novel give me something fresh give me something creative give me something uh, to tickle my fancy mainly give me something to appeal to my flesh the book of enoch it's whimsical it's it's fairy taleish. It, it you know it's it's um It's got that sense of mystery and sort of new-agey feel to it. So it appeals to inquiring minds. So I think with some it's boredom. And I think with others, they hear that it's inspired. So they go, well, how come this isn't in the Bible? So they hear about it. It's all over social media. Book of Enoch is everywhere. And again, there are Bible teachers out there, and I say that in quotes, who quote from it like it's authoritative and it's not and if you quote it as authoritative you're wronging your people because it's not authoritative because it doesn't line up with anything else in the written word of god it just doesn't so the whole thing of the nephilim and all of that again most of the people that i read about who were teaching the fallen angel uh message uh that fallen angels came and married earthly women and and sired uh, children um, by them, they they almost all of them, to a person, quoted Enoch. And, and yeah, it's there in Enoch, but is it inspired? No. Yes?
1: Yes, I had a question. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with what you were talking about. Um, this is off topic. So uh, last year my father had passed away, and I know I have read, I forget what book, where it says that when you die, um, that's it. It's either heaven or hell, and it's appointed for a man to die once and then a judgment. And I remember reading um, the story about Lazarus and the rich man, about how. Yes. Yeah, so that's, I know that. Yes. But for some strange reason, when someone passes away in my family, strange things start happening. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what. Are
0: you talking about like a haunting
1: no, not haunting. I guess let me explain. So my p- father had passed away last year suddenly. Well, he was sick for a long time, but he passed away, and I flew home. Um, I flew back to Baltimore, and then I flew back to I uh, flew here to Texas, went in a house, and my bathroom light was on. I knew that it wasn't on. I, I've been gone for yeah. at least three at least three days. And I caught, sorry, <laughs> oh, and I caught um, on my uh, alarm a picture of someone. It was like no one there, but it caught something.
0: So, you, so things have been moved around or, or messed with. So, right. you're wondering what that was. And
1: that's not the first time it happened. Okay. When someone dies in my family that I'm close to, I yeah. just, yeah. So,
0: What the Bible would call that is not a ghost. There's no ghost. The Greek word is phantasm. uh, And like when Jesus came walking to the disciples on on the water, it says they thought it was a ghost. If you read that in the Greek language, they thought it was a phantasm. Um, But there's no ghost because the ghost is the idea that somebody dies and their soul wanders the earth, usually with unfinished business. And, and when they can get rid, take care of the unfinished business, they can go rest in peace. That's the idea. But the Bible calls that a familiar spirit. Okay? And so I want to put your mind at ease. It's not him. Now, I don't know if that does put your mind at ease. Because that means it's something else. I'm not saying that demons turn on lights. I can't, I don't know. You know, I'm not going to go there. Um... I do believe that Satan is is behind the whole UFO thing, uh, causing people to see things. Remember, Satan can't create, but he can appear as something that he's not. He appears as an angel of light. Okay? He appears. So he can put on a disguise. So uh, can he actually manipulate physical things? I don't know. I don't see that in the Bible. And again, my source is the inspired text, okay? So since I don't see Satan doing that in the Bible, I'm hesitant to say that he can actually do that. So I don't know. But I would put your mind at ease, and I would say, Lord, whatever this is, I give it to you. I can't. We need to move along pretty quick here. Let me...
1: That's I all right. I did ask God before I came home. I said, "Lord, I know my father was a believer, and I know that He's with you. And I think that was a sign from God. Let me know the light was on, so He's with him. Okay. And God is the light. So,
0: well, again, I don't know. I wasn't there, and I'm hesitant to say to say uh, affirmatively. Right. Really, I can only tell you in Scripture, you don't see the devil doing anything like that. I think sometimes we give Satan too much credit. And other times, not enough credit. I'm real hesitant to give him credit for what he doesn't have the power to do. I know what he has the power to do, and it's and it can be terrible. But there are certain things he can't do. He's very limited. Okay, here?
1: Um, how does the Jewish nation view
0: the apography? Can I need a little closer to the okay. mic.
1: Sorry, i got a big mouth. How does the Jewish nation view the apography? Is- Compared with the
0: Torah. Is any of that. How has the Jewish nation come into prophecy?
1: When the the rabbis and all. With the Torah. Is any of that even mentioned?
0: Do they agree with the the apocrypha? No. No. Not that I know of. Now, I'm sure there are some Jews who do, but I don't think that. Now, if you want to talk about Jewish Christians, it probably covers. There might be some that do, but any knowledgeable Jewish Christian would not Ever embrace it because they would know it's not biblical. Uh, I don't think officially they ever they ever did embrace the Apocrypha. Catholics did, Eastern Orthodox Church did, but I don't think the Jewish people did as a whole. I don't think they did. All right. Anyone else? Yes. So what does the inspired Bible say about? crossing yourself as in you mean this yeah name of the father son and the holy spirit Uh, i was raised catholic and i've been doing that since knee high yeah (laughs) you know i know and when do you do it when you get scared like oh yeah yeah so it's a belief so let's get to it it's a belief that when you do this it gives you some kind of a protection okay so boy i gotta be the bad guy here I don't believe that it gives you actual protection. But I sure wouldn't say don't ever do it. I mean, who am I to say don't do it? No. 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 Nowhere. It's not there. Uh, the Bible would tell you for protection, it says, submit to God, then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the Bible would picture spiritual protection as being submitted to the will of God, submitted to the word of God. And unless you're submitted, don't try resisting the devil. Because if you're not submitted, he's not bothered with you resisting him. It's not going to do any good. A submitted Christian can resist the devil. So if I'm going to resist the devil and do warfare, I'm going to be real sure my life is right with, with Christ. And if I know it's right with Christ, I have full authority to resist the devil. But if I'm in sin... Uh, resist him all day. He doesn't give a hoot. It doesn't matter. Because it's not going to do any good. But this, I'll tell you the truth. There's been a few times I've done that on planes. <laughs> Lord, remember? But but just not believing that it protected me, just, oh, boy, here we go. I, and I was never Catholic. But, no, I don't believe it protects. I, I, you know, it's if you want to do it, fine. But as long as you don't think it protects, because it doesn't. All right. One more. Um, So I've always wondered where this came from. The seventh day, people go to church on Saturdays. Yeah. I've always, what what is that? Where does that come from? The Sabbath. Well, that comes from the Sabbath, and the Jewish Sabbath was Saturday. And, boy, if you were under Moses and you didn't honor the Sabbath, you could be killed. The Pharisees came along and made it absolutely ridiculous. You couldn't pick up a twig without coming under judgment from the Pharisees. So they added tradition to the laws of Moses. That's another thing altogether. But uh, here's the thing, and I'll leave you with this. To know if something is relevant in the New Testament, or I'm sorry, for New Testament believers, if you want to know if something is relevant for you from the Old Testament, see if the New Testament repeats it. Does the, does the, for instance, here I go homosexuality those that say homosexuality is fine as long as you're in a monogamous homosexual relationship and they say if you quote Leviticus to me where it says if a man lies with a man it's an abomination you're bringing me under the law and I'm no longer under the law I'm under Christ now that's how it's twisted but here's the thing Does the New Covenant, New Testament, carry that prohibition over into the New Testament? Oh, yeah, over and over again. Nine of the ten commandments were carried over into the New Covenant. Only one was not carried over. Which one? The Sabbath. Why? Because the book of Hebrews tells us Jesus is our rest, He is our Sabbath. And so you don't hear Paul say, now you obey that Sabbath. No, because it wasn't carried over. He is our rest. Every day we're supposed to rest in him, in his peace, and his power. So I don't have to go out there on Saturday. Seventh-day Seventh-day Adventists, they don't obey the Sabbath. They get up and drive to church on Saturday. That's work. They get dressed. That's work. Uh, they they cook a meal that day, That work, that's work so even, they don't okay, no we don't have to do that because he's our Sabbath but the other nine which are the moral law were all carried over into new covenant living okay, let's stand together can we amen let's lift our hands to the Lord, Lord thank you Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We just thank you, Lord, for showing us what's real, what isn't, what is from you, what is not. Help us, Lord, to go out and make a difference in this very dark and desperate world. Thank you for anointing turning point to be one voice, one of many, to go out there and touch the world for Jesus. May your face shine upon the people as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. See you Sunday. Have a blessed, blessed day.